pulling through could mean I want to go from having fuzzy lack of clarity of thoughts and difficulty presenting in meetings all the way to being bed bound. It doesn't mean you have to be the bed bound person. But I think all of us have been in situations where like, I'm not feeling optimal right now. Find someone who's written about because it's all over right now, who's shared about being in a similar situation to where you are. That gives you hope. And hope is talk about things being great natural drugs. Yes, helping people is one amazing drug, but hope is an incredible drug because it starts to pull you out almost naturally of whatever it is that you're feeling. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Eric Cusin, founder and CEO of the We're All a Little Crazy in quotes and hashtag same here, the global mental health movement. Eric is a 19-year professional sports executive who got his start at the NBA league office and then switched over to working with teams in the NHL. While Eric was experiencing great success in his career, he faced a debilitating mental health crisis that stopped Eric's career and life in its tracks for over two and a half years. After many failed treatments, he was lucky enough to learn healing practices that enabled him to dig out of his abyss and in the process found a higher calling. In 2017, Eric launched a nonprofit which he leads today. Eric merged his love of sports and passion to help those facing mental struggles by building an alliance comprised of athletes and celebrities, along with media members, expert practitioners, advocates, and everyday heroes who've come together to make talking about mental health a common topic for five out of five of us. Their hashtag Same Here movement has swept across college campuses, corporate offices, and professional sports all throughout the U.S. The movement has recently begun to expand globally as well. Listen in for some great takeaways about mental health and making a difference. Eric wants mental health to be a common topic for all of us and is working towards that every day. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the distinct pleasure of being with Eric Cusin, founder and CEO of we're all a little quote unquote crazy and the hashtag same here, the global mental health movement. And as you all know, mental health is something that's very important to me and my family. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Eric. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to have this conversation. Same, same. So listen, I want to give our listeners an idea of who you are, what you're about. So can you tell us about your path to founding your organization? How did you get here and why did you start it? Yeah, for sure. I guess we'll dive deeper. So I'll give kind of the 30,000 foot view for now. But mental health is the last place I thought I'd be working. A few rewind six years ago. I grew up an athlete, played sports all the way through high school. And then even in college, walked on the basketball team. Went to go work in professional sports right out of school. Was fortunate enough to go work for a gentleman named Mark Tatum, who's now the deputy commissioner of the NBA. He was my first boss coming right out of school with, with the league office at the time. And that launched a career into first being at the league office, but then 
getting a chance to work for various professional sports teams, everything from expansion WNBA Chicago Sky to the Phoenix Suns and Mercury, back east to the New Jersey Devils, and then down south, I guess Mm -hmm. we call it up here, to the Florida Panthers. And I was on that path doing what I think we do in corporate America, which is you go from assistant to manager, manager to director, director to VP. And so this role in Florida was chief revenue officer is one step away from my dream job at being a team president, running an overall operations, both on the business side and either hockey or basketball side. It would have been either or depending on which team there was an opportunity with and best laid plans, right? I unfortunately, six months into my tenure there, my brain and my body just hit a brick wall like I'd never experienced before. And the circuitous route that I went through for the next two and a half years of, I would say, failed treatment modalities and being, I'd say, treated as Western medicine's guinea pig. That's not to say I'm anti-pharmaceuticals in general. It's to say that, unfortunately, I don't believe that medicine is a cure-all for everything, and it's positioned that way. And so when we get sick, we go to the well very often thinking that we have to find the person behind the curtain, the uh, the Wizard of Oz is just going to fix us. And also we hold back and we don't work on ourselves until we reach a point of breakdown because we don't think mental health applies to us because of the way it's positioned as you're either sick or you're healthy. And if, hey, if you're healthy, what's the point of working on yourself? You don't need to because there's nothing that's causing you any harm or damage, right? right. Obviously, I'm being facetious as I share that. But the journey of, I think, trying so many failed treatment modalities, which we can certainly get into, then coming to realize how to actually heal and having a greater perspective and understanding of just how much we are all impacted is what led me to then deciding I wanted to form an organization just because I think as a society, we're not hitting the nail on the head. And and that's probably an understatement in terms of how we need to communicate about this topic to get everyone understanding what it is to move people in a direction of wellness, kind of like what's happened with physical health starting in the 70s and 80s with Jane Fonda and Richard Simmons. That's where we need to get to with normalizing mental health across a continuum with everyone now in the 2020, 2021. Yeah, I agree with you. And one of the things that resonated that you said was about trying to work your way up the corporate ladder. And I recently heard a gal by the name of Zing Shaw, who was also involved in professional sports for a while. And she said, our rationale with regard to the corporate ladder, where we have to go up one rung to one rung to the next rung, is kind of antiquated. And we really can't look at things that way. It's got to be more like a jungle gym, right? You sometimes take an arm length up, and then sometimes you have to go two or three lengths to the right or to the left and go horizontal. And it's not really a straight path up or down. It's kind of that jungle gym type you know, environment. And in sports, I mean, most people grew up doing something competitive, whether it was playing sports, whether it was being on your debate team, whether it was trying to make the role in the school play that you were in, right? Like we were all encouraged to do activities growing up and you have this desire to be the best of what you are. And certainly some people are more competitive and passionate than others. And so I think you get into industry. I can speak for the sports industry just because that's where I spend so much of my time and your competitive juices start to kick in. And how do I get to this position more quickly? And how do I become a chief revenue officer by 33 years old? Right. And How do you get these awards? And I think you get consumed by those things and you're looking around at the rest of the industry. And even though it's teams all over the country, over the, all over the world, for that matter, you start looking around, you're saying, where is my position relative to other people, right? That's just human nature to have that. 
And so it builds a culture of not only focusing on what's best for you, but what's best for you relative to other people. And I don't know that that's healthy. Probably not. (laughs) Uh, And you can only be the best you that you can be. And also getting someplace quickly doesn't mean that that's the right way to get there. I think as we get older, we start to realize that getting to a place that we come to a perspective and a realization of what really matters What matters is that we end up in a spot where we feel fulfilled and that we're helping people and that we have a purpose. And whether that happens at 32 or 38 or 45 or 60, I don't think that really, when you look back on things, the journey is really what it was all about. Absolutely. So let's talk about helping people. And one thing that we kind of talked about before we hit record was we want to be clear that your organization called We're All a Little Crazy. We want everybody to understand that that crazy is in quotations. You know, mm-hmm. we're not making any references. It's something that we want to point out. And you're using as a term to kind of attract eyeballs so they can see what you guys are all about. So can you tell us a little bit about what the organization is all about? What do you do and what your mission is? Yeah, for sure. So I don't think when you get sick, you get sick with the purposeful plan of starting an organization, right? <laughs> right. You go through what you go through, and then I think you readjust what your global perspective on things is. And I was told by all these doctors as I suffered for two and a half years staring at a ceiling, not watching TV, not listening to podcasts, just dead to the world. And I was trying these 50 different psychotropic drug combinations and TMS therapy where they shoot electromagnetic waves in your brain and shock therapy. I was told I had every single disorder from melancholic depression to anhedonic depression to PTSD to OCD to ADHD. So in the construct of what mental health is, those terms resonated because, okay, I fit in the bucket of one of these things. That means that I have this chemical imbalance that has made my brain, you know, let's call it my brain soup doesn't taste the right way. I need to put the right ingredients in to make it taste better. Right. When you go down that path, you're under the impression that you need to find the right set of ingredients that is going to bring it back to some kind of tasting of normalcy, right? And then you start getting in your head, did I put the wrong ingredients in from those 50 I've taken to the point where the ingredients can never go back to quote normal again, right? right. And when I finally found someone who helped me on my healing journey after all those other treatments that I described, what we determined was just by her asking me to tell her about my life was I had this trauma history that I didn't know what trauma was, but had an older brother who broke his femur bone when I was eight years old, was put in a body cast for a year, homeschooled, and then diagnosed with ALL, a children's form of leukemia, five years of chemo and radiation in the late 80s, not the best prognosis, led to eventually going to remission, but he's in a Jeep Wrangler with his friends after that, open top, open back, no seatbelt, flies out of the back lands on his head, cracks his head open, loses partial vision in his eyes in ICU for a month, heals from that, goes to college, gets a relapse of the same leukemia had as a child, stronger chemo regimen this time, which unfortunately develops 104 fever. Body develops what's called septic shock, where the organs start attacking themselves, septic shock into a coma. And now in a coma, we don't know if he's going to wake or if he's going to have any brain activity. And the neurologist can't tell us anything because the scans don't really read much at that point in the 90s. And So three months go by and we're expecting the worst, but fortunately, again, miracle again, he wakes full cognitive faculties about him, but his kidneys fail from the septic shock. needs to go on dialysis. We all get tested to see who's the closest match. My father is, donates a kidney to him. 
that all ends. And then that job that I shared that I started at the NBA with Mark Tatum, that first year, three of my close friends passed away undiagnosed or misdiagnosed heart conditions back to back to back, 22, 23 years old. And I share that detail when you ask about the organization, because it's important. People are like, why would you go so much into your own personal story? You know, it's a Cliff Notes version of it again. But I didn't know because I'd never been positioned that way because of all the ways in which the doctors who I'd spoken to before gave me a label and said, here's your label and here's what you need to do to get better. And here's the medication that fixed that label that I bench I essentially from the time I was eight to 22 and not to say that from 22 to 35, which is when I ultimately had my crash, life was just rainbows and butterflies. But the major things that happened to me in my life happened between those ages, that 14 year period. And so I had been sitting on this bed of trauma that had built up and accumulated inside of me. That realization and then the realization that I needed to find ways to work that out of my system to feel better as opposed to just taking a pill to normalize this thing that you know has been marketed as a chemical imbalance, that made me realize that everyone on this planet's mental health has been impacted because if that's my story, fine. Take your average 15-year-old right. watching your parents divorce, watching your parents lose their job and lose a house, watching friends being verbally abused or bullied, watching your friends go through a bad breakup watching your friends deal with a sickness of a loved one or a loss of a loved one. Like the list is a mile long. That's just the top level version of it. That means that everyone has been through challenges in their life that have impacted their mental health. That's not the story that's out there. And so I gave that background because when you say we're all a little crazy, when we first launched as an organization, certainly I'm not blind to the fact, I mean, I'm a marketer that using the term crazy in the space of mental health is a little bit jarring, right? And it's going to rub people the wrong way. If someone has a different term, that precedes it with, we're all a little, I love to meet that person because the term crazy, I can say, and people can't see the podcast, but I can say, Larry, that blue looks crazy good on you. And you know that I'm not saying that blue looks mentally ill good on you. Right. Right. And so I'm using it to embellish what I'm saying, but in the context of them seeing that this is a mental health page and I'm having quotes around it and the A is upside down, in the logo, I'm able to shake the trees on the people who didn't think or don't think, if we're talking present tense, that mental health applies to them. That's needed. We can't right. keep saying brain health and mind health over and over and over again and think that the majority of people in society that don't understand this topic are going to be like, sure, let me go work on that when they don't think that it has anything to do with what their day to day is. And, th- and that's the category I fell into. So Certainly can go into detail what the organization does, happy to do that. But I at least wanted to give background in terms of naming conventions. And then from there, you know, our campaign underneath were a little crazy, which I think we lead with more kind of like how Nike has just do it. Right. We lead more with same here, which is an American sign language sign like Larry, you and I were the same. Whether I knew your background or not, you're a human being. And as a human being, you've been through traumatic and difficult and stressful life events. That's going to impact you. That's going to impact your mental health. That puts us all on the same team. What a diversion message that is right now versus this is how I feel about the Rittenhouse trial versus this is how you feel. This is how I feel about the George Floyd event versus this is how you feel. This is how I feel about my political party versus your political party. We are so polarized, not only in this country, in this world right now with taking sides. The one common theme that we can all come together around is we've all been through shit. And right. it puts us all on the same team. Let's stop using mental health as a way to separate people. So anyway, sorry to get out of my soapbox there, but it's just, especially like as more and more current events come out and I see the way that the world gets torn apart through media and social media, 
it angers me because I know how much we need each other and we need to be together and feel like we're part of tribes, not tribes in a way that I'm against that other tribe, but one big tribe feeling like we're supported and connected with one another. Yeah. And I think that's important if we're going to change and continue the conversation and change the view of mental health. It's important that we all feel like we're on the same page because, as you said, we're all been through stuff. And the only difference between you and I is potentially how you've dealt and processed that stuff versus how I've processed that stuff. That's really, really the only difference. You know, I lost a mom at a very young age, uh, my brother-in-law, and it's just a difference of processing. So you mentioned the hashtag same here movement, right? And it's a global Mm -hmm. mental health movement. It's really not just to New York or just the U.S. It's really a worldwide initiative. So how are you doing this and what is the movement all about? What's the grassroots that how you're trying to affect change and and how are you moving the conversation forward? So same here was born from going to the largest nonprofit websites in our country. And I've shared this with you personally, Larry, like I looked at the main messages that were out there to try to normalize conversation. And there were three in particular that I saw that I felt like were well-intentioned, but were moving us further away from understanding this topic in coming together as one large group. And I don't want to believe that there was, let's say, hands on the scale for making it this way, but I'll share what those three messages are. First is one in five people are mentally ill being the top stat that's shared. It's the boilerplate message of every article. And then it's at the top of all these websites. It was in 2017 when I started studying this. Keep in mind, coming from an NBA background, you would look at the different NBA team websites and help them by sharing one to the other and comparing and say, you're doing this in this market. You can. So that's the background I come from is looking at what other people are doing and seeing how I could find best practices and share. And so first I see one in five people are mentally ill and my mind immediately goes, well, they're trying to help people understand that 20% of people is a lot. So you should take care of your mental health, but they're also giving a green light to 80% of society to say, you fit in this category called normal, healthy, fine, and okay. And if you can find a person who's normal, I'd like to meet that person because that doesn't exist, right? Like with and, physical and, health. Yeah. And then the reality is those four, right? At some point in time, they're probably going to be that one, right? They may not be in perpetuity, but they're going to go in and out of it. Yeah. Like Larry, it depends how you define that one, right? Because the DSM-5 is still subjective. Psychiatrists might argue with me on that, but you don't have a blood test for depression. You don't have right. a blood test for anxiety. You can say that you have this five symptoms of this list of 20 or more for two or more weeks. Okay, find me a person who hasn't felt what depression is, at least for right. periods in their life, right? To sure. your point, it can happen at any point. So whether it's you fit the diagnostic criteria for being in the one in five, or hey, you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and feel like there's a boulder on you because you just lost someone in your life guess what? Your mental health was impacted, right? right? And instead of looking at things in silos and buckets and constantly leading with that stat and separating people, I think we need to kind of have more of a coming together. And so that was the first issue. Then the second issue, and I think this really ties into the same here, is all the campaigns that were used to try to normalize conversation were an action word followed by stigma. So stop the stigma, stomp the stigma, break the stigma. The term stop is a command, <laughs> If I said, Larry, stop talking into that microphone right now, I might be an ass for saying it, but you would be like, whoa, why is Eric telling me to stop? 
we as advocates and people who care about this, who have been affected by, you know, you've been affected in your family and you just shared a little bit of your own personal story. It's great when we have a rallying cry together and we're saying, stop the stigma, break the stigma. We have to understand that stigma is formed by human beings. <laughs> it's not right. formed by the mic that we're talking into and the computer we're looking at. So when we say stop the stigma, there's people on the other side that we're trying to convince that this topic is for them and they should change their way of thinking and acting. When you say stop to them, say stop to a three-year-old child when they're throwing a toy. The first thing they do is pick up that toy and throw it at you because right. they don't like being told to stop something. So same here, what came from a story, you're a hockey fan, Theo Fleury, when I first decided that I think we need a way to show the challenges that we face and the stories we've been through and not the disorders that we have, I saw Theo as one of the first people on the planet who was sharing not his label PTSD, but saying I was raped by my male coach over 150 times when I played junior hockey. And my father was a gambling addict and had difficult relationships with my mother in the house. And he was leading with the story. And so of all things on LinkedIn, where we met, I wrote Theo an email on LinkedIn, a direct message. It got to him and he just really quick writes, get in touch with Dawn. Dawn's right. uh, his assistant. Right. So he and I get on the phone. This is 2017. And I ask him, Theo, to make sure I'm working with the right person as if I had the right to ask him that question. I said, would you give up your favorite NHL goal to save someone's life? And no hesitation. He'd never been asked the question before. So we, we tell the story a lot because it's just an awesome display of who he is. He says, I would give up my Stanley Cup ring and my Olympic gold medals just to change one person's life. I was put on this planet not to play hockey, but so that hockey could be a platform that I can help people with. And he started telling me a story of how he, that came about is that when he started openly sharing what happened to him and wrote his book, there was a huge line in Toronto, the first bookstore he was doing signings at. And there was a guy clutching his book like a baby almost. And the guy looked homeless, flat brim hat, not in a trendy way, right? <laughs> just right. like a hat that cheap hat that he had gotten and clothes beaten up. And he goes up to the line to Theo and he says, Theo's looking like, what's this guy going to say to me? He doesn't even look like he put a sentence together and just picks the hat up, looks him in the eyes and goes, Theo, me too. And when I heard that, this is before the Alyssa Milano right. trend, literally the month before it gave me goosebumps. And I said, that guy said a thousand words to you in only two words. He said, Eric, why do you think I've been doing what I've been doing for the last 10 years? Because of that guy saying those two words to me. So I went to the American Sign Language website. I don't share this so often, but. I looked up the sign language sign for me too, which was this, right? Your thumb at your chest, your pinky point out at the other person. Well, the Alyssa Milano story comes out a month later. I call up Theo and I go, I think we got to change it to something else. <laughs> right? Right. So that's where same here was born. And I think serendipitously, same is a lot more collaborative than me is, me, right? So right. even though they're synonyms. Is, anyway, to wrap that question that you had up is from there, I'm looking then and I'm seeing the way that celebrity stories are being shared. And still to this day, right, people can tell me that they don't agree with me and that's fine. It's an opinion. But it was the way that media first was sharing the stories. It was the celebrity name plus their disorder plus the erratic behavior. Britney Spears has depression, shaves her head. Lindsay Lohan has anxiety, dresses like a hot mess. Well, these websites that were nonprofits, they didn't have endorsement deals with these celebrities. So they were just linking to the Us Weekly or People magazine article that had those bylines in them. So you add those three things up, one in five people are mentally ill. Let's stop stigmatizing that group of one in five. And if you want to know if you're in that one in five, did you run off a basketball court in a panic attack? Did you have to cancel a performance? Did you shave your head? How many people are raising their hand being like, yeah, I'm in that mental health group, right? So you phrase it well, Larry, like, 
where we still need to go in this space and how much change needs to happen. I'm not trying to be the poo-poo guy who is saying, oh, you know, everything is bad. It's awesome. Don't get me wrong, especially in a space that I used to work, that more athletes are sharing their stories. But the way they're being shared, the focus is still on disorder. I'm Michael Phelps with depression and suicidal ideations. Use talk space, right? right? Simone Biles had depression. She had to pull out of the Olympics. That's not the story. So what we do as an organization is we share the what that we've been through because that's more relatable to people than the label, especially in a world where people don't like to be labeled. You shared the loss of your mother at a young age. If you'd like, you share your brother-in-law on that story. These things impact us. These divorces, these job losses, these breakups, these things are the accumulation of stuff inside of us. It's much easier to get the four and five to relate to what we're talking about with mental health when we talk about the stuff than when we talk about the labels. Right. I agree with you. And Theo was a guest on our show, and that was a real eye-opening show that we had. And he was, like with you, he was very open and willing to share. And I think that the sharing that we're seeing from other athletes, actors across the board is incredibly helpful. And you know, we've talked about it. Why Why do you think right now, because clearly you do, right? You think that right now is really a good time to affect this change. And someone who comes from the sports world, we're, I think we're seeing a bit of a shift. And we're not maybe where we want to be, per se, but we're definitely in that shift environment that we're seeing owners, athletes, even leagues making efforts in these strides. Why do you think right now is the time to start moving this conversation forward? It's funny because I think about that question, like it's almost a microcosm of my own situation is I didn't address it until I fell apart, right? Because I didn't know to address it. And I think what has happened since the 2000s, who's an athlete right now? Kids who were born late 90s, (laughs) early 2000s, they grew up in a world where these things that I'm holding in my hand, that's all they know. And so you and I remember the 90s when you'd go to dial up AOL and do, 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 you know, you got mail and we had three email messages and that felt like a lot more popular. Now we get three messages in three seconds. Now the brain doesn't develop as quickly as the technology develops. So from the two thousands on all of a sudden we had this influx of what is impacting our somatic nervous system, right? What we see here, touch, feel, taste, and what we're actively doing. These kids who are now young adults, they're in a world where they're under the microscope where they have to perform at a high level and they're dealing in this world where all they've known is go, 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 go. Right. And when you can't escape that, you have to address it. So in a way, I almost feel like it's not that they're these martyrs who are finally like, okay, we need to rip the bandaid off this and I'm going to be the first one to do it because it hasn't been done. Naomi Osaka literally can't get in front of a group of reporters because whatever is developed inside her related to the overwhelm, of that, even though she's performing in front of thousands, in front of her and millions on TV, it just becomes too much pressure and she crashes. We see the way that the tears are coming out of her. Kevin Love running off a basketball court again was because of a crash, right? So I think there was a mentality for a long time, Franco Harris, right? Like you think of like the Steve Sable and NFL films and it was always like Bronco Nagurski, right? Right. All these big names are like, we just push through. and But then you see these people after their career is over and they can't walk. And sometimes they can't put sentences together. And 
I think there's a warrior mentality within sports of I'm going to push through whatever it is. But now you're having athletes that they can't even push through within their career. They have to address it right? because it happened all at once. So I think that's why it's happening. I don't want to take away from the bravery of the people who are sharing. I think they're brave for doing what they're doing because I'm really good friends with Robin Leonard. There's no question his contract has been impacted. He needed right. to wait two years to get a multi-year deal. And then he had a sign for five million. People are going to say, whoa, is him. But the people at the other goalies who have the stats that he has, they're making seven and eight million. So right. just by being open about his mental health, which he's managing beautifully right now, he took a two, three million dollar hit per year times five years. That's fifteen million dollars. That's a lot right. of money to take a hit on. And it's not a long career either, typically. So, no. uh, you know, you got to do it while you can. It's not like you have a 30 year career. So let's let's talk about you personally, because you're, you're very open and vocal on here and in other places sharing your own story. What impact have you seen personally by sharing that, your own story, on both you and the movement? Yeah, I mean, it, I've referenced LinkedIn a few times. I wasn't a social media person ever. Even the two that I had when they first really became popularized were LinkedIn and Facebook. So when I started feeling better and healing through modalities like breathing and yoga, meditation and mindfulness, I shared on LinkedIn and Facebook because I didn't have those other platforms. And even on LinkedIn and Facebook, I wasn't a sharer. I was more of like a voyeur, right? Right. Like I was watching everyone else. And the reaction that I got specifically on LinkedIn, I mean, you get like amazing family responses and people who come out of the woodworks on Facebook. But on LinkedIn, you see like the view counts, some 150,000 views in three days. Like I'm not Edgar Allan Poe. How the hell is this happening? <laughs> but the calls that came in, 400 from as far as China is still of the Excel spreadsheet calling those people back, no one was in sports, right? So this means it was getting to secondary and tertiary contacts. And what people were sharing with me was not a label. They were sharing a challenging life event or events they've been through, losing a child to SIDS, going through a terrible divorce and having to restart a family, right? And what I realized from that was when you put your story out there, we have these motor neurons in our brains and we have empathy. And you don't have to have been through. It's what you said. It's how we handled what we went through. You don't have to have been through the same thing that I went through. But once you hear me talk about my brother and the sicknesses, you say, who in my family was sick? And then you start hearing about the right. friends passing away and you say, who in my family passed away or my friends group passed away at a young age? And you start to relate and you say, wait a second, this guy who's putting his story out there, there's some kind of connection to my story, his story. So if I would say anything is the reason I didn't go back into sports, hopefully this helps answer your question about what did I realize was sharing my story is what you're able to do to help people is the greatest drug in the world to change someone's life and potentially save someone's life was a greater feeling than anything I ever did. And I got a chance to go to Stanley Cup final with the devils. I won a title with the Phoenix Mercury, went to the Western conference finals with the Suns numerous times, like helping one person each day. And it's not the cliche of like, if only I could help one person, I'm saying like each individual help, whatever that looks like. I love doing it. Like these people call Eric, can you find some time to get on the phone? I know you're busy. And I'm like, call me at nine o'clock at night. Let's have a conversation. I love doing it. I couldn't agree with you more. I talk a lot about my brother-in-law and losing him in 2004 to suicide and talk about the money that we've raised since then. And that's all well and good, but even more impactful to myself and my family is we know for a fact that there are people that have reached out to us for assistance, guidance, et cetera, and we've saved lives. So 
that trumps all of the money that was raised and could be raised, right? And knowing that you have that impact is, hey, that's the reason why we're sharing the story and we will continue to share his story for those very reasons. And that sounds like that's the same reason you shared yours and will continue to share yours to help those countless others that are following you and, and find out about you and your story. You know what's interesting though, Larry? Like you said, we'll continue to share his story and his story is powerful. I think you realize this. You're sharing your story and your wife's story. Oh, 100%. I only say that because to motivate the people who are out there, because people will hear our stories, whatever our, right? Whether that goes to me, you, your brother-in-law, your wife, and they think, I didn't go through as much as that person did. That doesn't matter. Once you open up and you share some form of vulnerability of something you've been through, you become a lifeline to someone else. Because in 7 billion people, the machinations of the things that can happen... (laughs) There's going to be people who find hope in what you share and find commonality in what you share. And what we need to get away from is this world that you and I grew up in, which is the veteran sits at the table at the bagel shop by themselves because they told the only person that can relate to them is someone else who lost a brother or sister in arms. No, trauma's trauma. And that's not to downplay what they went through. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that in the opposite way. Like if you just went through war because your family member had stage four cancer for eight months, you can sit next to that service person and the two of you can relate to the misery that you lived through for that period of time. And that can bond you together and you can be there for one another. That narrative needs to get out there that our stories can heal in that way. I agree with you, Eric, and I couldn't have said it better. And I should probably rephrase it as telling our story because it's really all of us that it's about. So I want to tell people about the hashtag same here scale and, and the app. What is that all about and how does that impact classrooms and things like that? What do you want to see this app and how do you want to see it used? Yeah, thank you. I didn't fully answer one of your last questions. So we have five areas of focus where the scale comes into play in each one of them. But when you look at society and you say, how are you going to impact society? You got to try to be strategic, but at the same time, you know, you can't get too wide. So five areas are K through 12 that we call same here schools, colleges we call same here sit downs, offices we call same here safe. Servicemen and women and first responders like the Department of Defense or the NYPD, we call senior service, not surprising. And then sports teams and leagues going from professional sports to youth sports, we call senior sports. Within that, you need to take people on a life cycle journey of what mental health is. So you could start with a conversation on normalization through storytelling. But then the next question becomes, if all of us are impacted and we all live across a continuum, what does that continuum look like? And that's where the scale comes into play. If you wanted to find out if you put on weight, Larry, you'd go to a scale and you'd check your number relative to what your number has been before. If you wanted to find out if you had temperature because there's a virus that you're feeling that your body's developing, you'd put a thermometer in your mouth and you check how are you relative to 98.6. We don't have that with mental health. We've got DSM-5s and we've got diagnostic manuals or forms that we can fill out from a zero to a five. And then you add those up and okay, you're moderate to this category. So what we did with the same year scales, we said, how can we create a scale with emojis and colors that's simple, that shows a fluctuation of states of feelings that we're in, that moves on a constant basis, that there's no right or wrong place to be. We don't want to use terms like sick or healthy or normal or (laughs) damaged or happy or unhappy. So the scale goes thriving, gliding, surviving, fluctuating, struggling, sinking, right? 
to give the nuances of one of them. Sinking, the prevailing wisdom would be, oh, you go from the happiest on one end to the saddest on the other end. That's not what happens with our neural circuitry. Our neural circuitry goes to overwhelmed in the struggling place, right? And highly anxious to then fried and toast and not able to handle anymore and completely out of it and numb and dull. That's sinking, right? And so it's okay to get to that place when we lose a parent. What's not okay, unfortunately, is when we stay in that place, our sympathetic response just continues to go off and we get locked into that mode. And that's when we start to see disorder develop, right? So it's taking what happens in terms of the neuroscience, but simplifying in a way that a kindergartner could understand all the way up to someone who works for a financial institution, right? And now if you can track that over time and see those changes, you start to develop patterns. I know I use it for myself and I'm like, why is it I'm moving further to the left for three days? It's always three days. And then all of a sudden I have a dip. Where does that dip happen? Why do I move back to the right? And there's nothing situationally. I self-sabotage. Wait a second. Can I really be feeling this much better? And then bam, I go back (laughs) into, right? So it's a tool that helps us self-identify. And then in the space of teachers working with students, it helps the teachers identify the trends with the students or employee to manager, right? Helps that way. Or athlete to coach helps that way. We need that type of language because if we don't have that language, let's even get into the detail of it. What you might call meh, someone else calls okay, someone else calls fine, someone else calls blah, which is it? And let's go on the other ends that you call great. Someone else says awesome. Someone else says phenomenal. Which one is it, right? So the goal here is to put common language out there that allows people to, here I am relative where I was. Where are you on that same scale, Larry? Right. It normalizes it and kind of puts everybody in that same bucket so we can understand where we're all at on any given period of time, which is great. So listen, I want to shift the conversation a little bit away from your organization and more into just mental health in general, right? For someone that's passionate about mental health like us and wants to make a difference, what, in your opinion, what is the best way for them to have impact, right? Because a lot of people want to get involved, want to have an ability to affect change, but they're really not sure if what they're going to do is going to have an impact to really affect change. What are some areas that maybe two or three areas you think people who want to make an impact in mental health could take today? So what's around now that we didn't have? So I talked about some of the negative effects of social media. Some of the positive aspects of social media are you can go search hashtag mental health on any one of these platforms. Look for the organizations that speak to your soul, that resonate with you and write them a DM. And just like you would when you're applying to jobs, even you're doing it from a voluntary perspective, say, I love what your organization's about. I'd love to learn more. Is there someone there I can talk to because I'd love to get involved? The reason I bring up the job application process is because, let's be honest, some of these organizations you're not going to hear back from. That's just the way the world works, right? We try to answer every single DM that comes through because someone took the time out to write to us. And in that, be prepared with what your specific skill sets are of how you can help an organization. So while, you know, it's easy for me to simplify and say, share your story. If they have a platform, put your story out there. That might not be someone's comfort level. Someone might be a really good web developer. Someone might be a programmer. Someone might be an artist. We've got a young woman who's in college who does a lot of our art for different tools that we put out there, right? Doing an alternate nostril breathing and draw what that looks like for someone. So begin with your skill set. Look at the organizations that are out there and say, I'd like to volunteer my skill sets towards what you're accomplishing right? These organizations need so many different people with different skill sets that 
the likelihood is you get in touch with a person on DM, you're at least going to get a chance to explain how you'd like to get involved. I'll tell you that this is a little bit of my skepticism in the space. Some of the larger organizations, when you write and the message you get right back right away is, well, here's our fundraising program. Here's how you can help us fundraise. Money's great for these organizations, but if you want to make an impact, you've got some kind of special skill, whether it's sharing your story, whether it's how you what you learned in school, try to find the organization that allows you to flex that unique muscle that you have as opposed to just the standard fundraising program that they have that anyone could go on the website and download load a form and start doing yeah. that. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think people also have a fear of contacting some of these organizations because their immediate reaction is I can't raise money or I don't want to start collecting money. And to me, I tell people all the time, same as you, is it's not necessarily about the money. If you can perform a tool or do something that's useful and an asset to the organization, ultimately that's going to lead to fundraising in some way. If you could help them design a website or share your story in some way, that's going to all lead to it. But these uh, organizations are so starved for help that if you have a skill set that can fit into their wheelhouse, it's a a phenomenal thing to do. And it doesn't have to cost you money. It'll cost you some time, but that's it. So, you know, one of the things you've been through a lot of opportunities through taking care of your own mental health, right? So I think that you're a great person to ask this, right, is to people who are listening. we, We talk about mindset a lot here. What are three things people who are listening today can do to have an immediate impact on their mental health. Obviously, aside from the scale, which I think is a great opportunity for them to get a better sense of where they fit or where they are on that continuum, what are three things that everybody can do, the average person could do today to start improving or becoming more comfortable with their mental health? So the first thing is the mindset of thinking about mental health as this accumulation of stuff, as opposed to this abstract concept of I'm either messed up or I'm not, right? Because if we think of mental health like we do weight, we see the weight go on our body, we see the weight that can come off our body. When we look at mental health as this construct of stuff that happens to us and stuff that, that we can work out that happens to us, now we gain control back, right? So I think from a mindset perspective, that's number one. Number two is Thinking about whatever I went through is the greatest teacher that I'll ever have, because what it's going to do is it's going to give me a perspective that I never had before by going through this challenge that I'll then be able to use and turn around and look back and appreciate things that I never appreciated before. The third I would say is hanging on to people who put their stories out there as motivation for yourself to look at and say, if that person was able, wherever they were at, on this continuum of challenges to pull themselves through, I'll be able to do that myself. And pulling through could mean I want to go from having fuzzy lack of clarity of thoughts and difficulty presenting in meetings all the way to being bedbound. It doesn't mean you have to be the bedbound person. But I think all of us have been in situations where like, I'm not feeling optimal right now. Find someone who's written about because it's all over right now, who's shared about being in a similar situation to where you are that gives you hope. And hope is talk about things being great natural drugs. Yes, helping people is one amazing drug, but hope is an incredible drug because it starts to pull you out almost naturally of whatever it is that you're feeling. Yeah, and I agree. I think those are three very actionable, very tangible things that everybody who's listening 
could start implementing and enacting in their life and have immediate impact on their mental health. So before we go to our last question, which we asked all our guests, I want to know what are the next big things up for Eric? And we're a little crazy. What's up next? What's up on the horizon? What's exciting, what's starting to happen in this space is, right, we spent a lot of time from a nonprofit perspective, first proving ourselves by it costing us money to go out and do things for organizations, colleges, universities, schools, these sports teams, to now have these organizations coming to us and saying, we want to sponsor doing these things in market, right? Winning a grant from the NFLPA to go to 10 schools around the country. We're forming a partnership with an organization called PM Pediatrics. That is now going to do behavioral health. They've got 90 clinics all over the country, and they're coming to us being like, we want to use your scale. We want to see your content, right? A couple ones that, unfortunately, I can't share yet, but I think we're close on some of, let's call it the eight major leagues of sports that are out there and realizing that there's not just hiring a mental health professional in your team or within your organization is checking the box. What is the culture change that you're bringing about? And what's the theme and how do you educate your athletes, your players? We're close on doing some partnerships on that side of things. So I'd say it's the corporate lens of now no longer being, okay, we'll donate to this charity and that'll make us look good. It's now we got to actually make impact for our members and we got to use our platform to make actual impact for other people. It's no longer about the PR of, okay, this athlete went through something. Let's share their story on our website, now we're good because we've helped everyone. Like It's rolling up our sleeves and finding organizations like AFSP and like us to say, what are the actual programs being done? We want to support those organizations. That's great. So, I mean, it seems like you've done a lot of good work. You have a lot of great work ahead of you, which is phenomenal. So we'll be certainly watching you and the success of the organization. And Eric, you know, we end every show by asking all of our guests the same question. And I'm really interested to hear your take on this, which is, What did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? (laughs) Well, I had to get a new phone because my battery was dying. So I was waking (laughs) up with a a phone where the battery is actually working is just a a natural thing that happened. But Mm -hmm. as I'm talking to you, my best friend over here, I've got a mutt that I picked up at the the rescue (laughs) six years ago. So he's part pit bull, part lab, part Dotson. Really weird mix. Wow. In a beautiful way. Brown hair, green eyes. I'm reminded every day. I'm not married yet, right? So this is my life partner right now. (laughs) I'm reminded every day by him waking up because he won't let me sleep anywhere but sleep next to me. And that brings me joy just knowing that there's this live being that relies on me, but also relies for me in companionship. And I'm able to get that out of him. And that might sound really simple to people, but when you're by yourself and especially what's been going on with the pandemic and you're looking at your four walls in New York City where there wasn't much activity going out in the streets, to have a guy like that every morning when you wake up next to you is pretty awesome. That's amazing and quite the story. And I'm sure, although he can't necessarily talk to you and tell you, I'm sure he gets as much out of the relationship as you do. So. I'll give you 30 seconds of this. Obviously, we talk on Zoom all the time, whether it's a podcast or just have a meeting. He, and I'm sure other people see their dogs do this, he can read the cadence of my voice. And as I'm like, okay, Larry, it was great to speak to you. Before I shut down, he's already getting down on the couch, (laughs) jumping on me like, it's time to go out. It's time to go out. So it's these these creatures (laughs) are amazing. 
that they're able to read that. It's unbelievable. I'm sure he's going to be getting ready in about five or 10 seconds here. So Eric, we're going to have all your information in the show notes, right? But if people want to find you, find your organization, what's the best way for them to do that? So two ways I'll give. One is just go to samehereglobal.org, the website. Lots of resources and tools on there, but you can do the contact us and it'll get to me. Most of our social media handles are just at samehere underscore global. And again, try to answer all those. So would love to hear from people volunteering or just you got a question, you want to help with something, happy to help in any way we can. That's great. And if you're listening, you want to have an impact on mental health, like Eric said, reach out to him, let him know what your skill set is, how you might be able to help same way or another organization, but have an impact. And it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Eric. And I thank you for sharing your story and everything you're doing in the space, because it's people like you that are going to help us take the conversation to the next level, normalize this and make everybody feel comfortable and make it like, you're going for your annual physical, you same thing. I'm going tomorrow for my annual physical. I should be getting my mental health in order and having that looked at on an annual basis the same way. So thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, buddy. Great talk. All right. Make it a great day. I want to thank Eric Cusin for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Eric has taken his own mental health struggles and is using it as a platform to help countless others. He has seen firsthand how hard the system is to navigate and understands the importance of opening up the conversation about mental health. The success Eric has seen in helping others using his organization as a platform has been unbelievable in breaking down some of the barriers surrounding mental health, and we applaud him. Eric Cusin and the We're All a Little Crazy and hashtag same here global mental health movement can be found across all social media platforms. And all the contact information needed to find him or the organization can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.